verses 5 through 7. And what we will see today is a natural building or amplification of thought from John based on the text from last week, verses 1 through 4, where John initially set out focusing on the nature of Jesus Christ, stating that Jesus Christ is eternal, that he is, verse 1, from the beginning, and that Jesus Christ is God in the flesh, that he is, verse 2, the life made manifest. Thus, because of John's confidence that Jesus Christ is truly God in the flesh and that he alone offers eternal life, John then is passionate about proclaiming that truth, passionate about fellowshipping in that truth, and passionate about having our joy be complete in that truth. But as we will see today, if we truly have fellowship, verse 3, with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ, then our lives should look vastly different from those who do not have true fellowship with God. And it's one of the biggest charges against so-called Christians today, is it not? That too often our actions and our ways of life, they don't line up with the things we say. For example, the world hears us say that we are against drunkenness and yet sees us drink more than our unbelieving co-workers at business events. The world hears us say we care about the least of these and yet sees us walk by a homeless man on the street without even batting an eye. The world hears us say it is hard for a rich man to get into heaven and yet sees us driven to accumulate wealth for ourselves. In essence, the world hears people talk the Christian talk, but they don't walk the Christian walk. I read a joke this week about a minister who was walking down the street and came upon a group of boys all of them between the ages of 10 to 12 years old. The group had surrounded a dog. Concerned that the boys were hurting the dog, the minister went over and asked, what are you guys doing to that dog? One of the boys replied, this dog is just an old neighborhood stray. We all want him, but only one of us can take him home. So we've decided that whichever one of us can tell the tallest tale, the craziest story, or the biggest lie, will get to keep him. Of course, the reverend was taken aback. You boys should not be having a contest telling falsehoods and lies, he said. So he launched into a 10-minute sermon against lying, beginning with, don't you boys know it's a sin to lie, and ending with, when I was your age, I never told a lie. And there was dead silence for about a minute. And just as the reverend thought he was about to get through to the boys, the smallest boy gave him a deep sigh and said, all right, he wins the contest, give him the dog. (laughs) Now we all do things we know and say we shouldn't do. We can all admit to that. But for the Christian, this is not the practice of our lives. It is not the way of our lives as we despise those moments of hypocrisy and we seek to repent before our holy God as quickly as we can, turning from those evils and not being content to live in them. Because here is the reality, church. For those who say they have a relationship with God, For those who say they have true fellowship with God, for those who say they are Christian and that they have peace with God, but who make it a practice in their lives to unapologetically walk in sin and darkness, they lie, and the truth is not in them. Which takes us to our thesis statement this morning. 
or the main content of our sermon today, which is this. God is holy, and thus God's children will desire to walk in his holy and perfect ways. Our thesis statement this morning is this. God is holy, and thus God's children will desire to walk in his perfect and holy ways. And our text this morning is 1 John chapter 1, verses 5 through 7. The Apostle John, he writes, This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you, that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for the opportunity as your body, as the church, to gather this morning to praise you so that you be glorified, to love you, to worship you, to see the beauty of your word given to us in the text this morning. Father, we pray for our brother Bert this morning, for healing for him. We pray for all the congregants who are not able to make it this morning. And we pray for the church that is here this morning. Lord, open our eyes, our ears, and soften our hearts to receive the beauty of your word this morning, that the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us of all sin. Let that truth be what gives us confidence this morning. Father, I pray you help my lisping, stammering tongue. I pray you be glorified. Give me the words to speak. Let them be bold. Let them be convicted. Let them be true. Let them be humble. And let them bring glory to you, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Our first of two points this morning is this. Point number one, God is holy. God is holy. Verse 5. It says, this is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. John begins verse 5 with this phrase, this is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you. Now we will get to the content of that message in a second, but who exactly is the him in which John and the apostles have heard this message from? You see, John wants his readers to know that this supernatural message that he possesses and now is proclaiming, this isn't some message that he is just making up as he goes. This isn't some message he received from a vision or a dream. This isn't some message he read in some type of ancient Near Eastern piece of literature. This is the message, John says, we heard from him, the one who is from the beginning, the one who is God in the flesh. This is the message we heard from Jesus Christ and now deliver to you, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. And John isn't just throwing out some nebulous or some random term here in order to describe the nature of God to his readers. And how do we know this? Well, from a big picture standpoint, as James Kaufman put it, to the pagans, God was hatred, vengeance, and fear. 
To the ignorant, God was a God of darkness, an unknown being to be appeased, not a person to be loved. And to the philosopher, God was an abstraction, an idea having no connection at all with man. To which John would have said, no. God is none of those things. He is not hatred. He is not darkness or some kind of abstract idea. Instead, John says, God is light. Now, what exactly does John mean when he says God is light? Well, we see in the Old Testament, David said that the Lord is my light and my salvation, Psalm 27. We see Isaiah Isaiah say, speaking about the future Messiah, that he will be a light to the Gentiles, that he will bring my salvation to the ends of the earth, Isaiah 49. So just as light reveals and makes things known, so too does God perfectly reveal himself and his plans to his people for his glory. But what exactly is God revealing when John writes, God is light? When you look at the context, what John is doing here is he is pointing out and showcasing the heirs and the evils that many of his opponents were living by and promoting. And the rule, the guideline, the standard in which John is using to showcase their moral failures and their moral corruption, it isn't John's own thoughts, it isn't his own assessment or his own ideas on the matter. The standard in which John is using is based on the very essence and nature of God, which is God is light. As Douglas O'Donnell put it, God is perfectly pure, both morally, no evil, all good, and intellectually, no error and all truth. Thus, church, our God, he is flawless and moral, just and righteous. He is certain and truthful and faithful and good. He is separate and distinct and other and in a class all to himself. He is holy, Isaiah 43. His ways are holy, Psalm 77. And there is no one else holy like him, 1 Samuel 2. Our God is majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, and does wonders. Our God, church, he is light. And yet you may be sitting there wondering, if God is light and good and holy, why then is there evil and darkness in the world? Did God, who is light, create what is evil or that which is counter to his nature? To which the Apostle John would have cried out, No! Verse 5, because in him is no darkness at all. There is no darkness or evil or wickedness or sin or deception or error in our holy God, church. Only light. So just as coldness is the absence of heat and darkness is the absence of light, evil then was not created by God, but it is the mere mere absence of God. And church, this is the root in which the entire epistle of John grows. And honestly, it must be the root from which all of our theology grows as well, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all that God is holy and in him is no sin at all, that God is righteous and in him is no corruption at all, that God is good and in him is no evil at all, that God is perfectly pure, righteously revealed, and distinctly divine, that God is without a speck of sin, an ounce of offense, an inkling of immorality, or a trace of transgression, that God is holy, 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 the Lord God Almighty, and the whole earth is full of his glory. That is our God, church. Thus, 
let us open our eyes to his glory this morning and discern and behold and draw near to the brilliance of his perfect and revealing light. The prince of preachers, Charles Spurgeon, he put it this way concerning the fact that God is light. He said, suppose the case of a crippled man who had spent his entire life in a room where the sun was never seen. He heard of its existence, he believed in it, and indeed saw of its light, which gave him ideas of its glory, but he never actually saw it in person. Wishing to see the sun, he was taken out at night into the streets of a lit-up city. At first he was delighted, dazzled, but after, he had, after some time to reflect, he saw darkness spread amidst the lights and asked, is that really the sun? So then he was taken out under the starry sky and was delighted. But on reflection, he again found that night covered the earth and again asked, is that really the sun? So finally, he was carried out on a bright day at noon. And no sooner did his eye open to the sky than his question came to an end, for that was the sun. His eye was content as it had seen its highest object and knew that there was none brighter. So it is with the soul. It enjoys all light, and yet amid those of art and nature, it is still searching for something greater. But when it is led by the reconciling Christ into the presence of the Father, and he lifts up upon it the light of his face, all thought of anything greater disappears. As there is but one Son, there is but one God. And the soul that discerns and knows him feels that greater and brighter there is no other, and that the only possibility of ever beholding more glory is simply by drawing near to God's most holy light. Church, God is light, beautifully holy, altogether true, eternally pure, and in him is no darkness at all. And he has made his light manifest, made his light visible for the world to see in the person of Jesus Christ. And for those who place their trust in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of their sins, they will no longer be drawn into the darkness, but instead they will desire only to draw near to God's most holy and perfect light. Which brings us to point number two. If we truly have fellowship with God, we will walk in the light, since God is light. If we truly have fellowship with God, we will walk in the light, since God is light. Verses 6 and 7. It says, if we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. So the foundation of John's argument, it has been set. God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. God is holy, and in him is no sin at all. And John sets this foundation because his opponents were arguing that they were enlightened, that they were spiritually aware, that they were informed, that they were wise, and because of their enlightenment, they claimed that they had real, intimate fellowship with God, even though they were walking in darkness and counter to the ways of God. I mean, it sounds like people today, people who claim to be Christian, 
who claim to have fellowship with God because they walked some aisle when they were younger, got baptized as an infant, filled out a card at youth conference, raised their hand at a revival, went to church camp when they were younger, attended Christian concerts, listened to Christian radio, or even wore a WWJD bracelet when they went to high school, and yet they live just like the world. So although they say this, that, and the other about their relationship with God and their peace with God and that they are a Christian, their actions, they say exactly the opposite, and to which the Apostle John says in verse 6 that they lie, that they are liars and that they do not practice the truth. They talk the talk, but they do not walk the walk. And this reminded me of one of the characters in John Bunyan's book, Pilgrim's Progress who the main character named Christian and his companion named Faithful met on their journey to the celestial city. Bunyan writes, Suddenly a man appeared. Say there, Faithful called out, are you on your way to the celestial city? Yes, answered Talkative, for that was his name. He was tall and handsome and happily began to talk on and on about God and the things of heaven. After a while, Faithful went over to Christian and said, What a fine man this talkative fellow is. However, Christian responded, Don't you know he is from our city? He just pretends to be a pilgrim. Away from home, he talks big. But at home, he doesn't pray, he complains all the time, and he even gets violent. He acts like a Christian in public, but he treats his family in awful ways. So Faithful said to Talkative, since you talk so much about saving grace, how then should it show itself in a person's heart and in the way one lives? Well, it should make a person be bold to talk against sin, Talkative began. Don't you think it should really cause someone to hate their own sin and not just talk about it, Faithful asked. Saying and doing are two different things. If you talk so much about God and his grace, you should also be glad to do what he says. Your neighbors say that you cheat and lie and harm many people by the ungodly way you live. Talkative turned red and marched away angrily. You see, church, there is only one natural response a man can have when he grasps for the first time the holiness of God and observes himself in light of that holiness. And it is certainly not merely talking about it. Listen to the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 6. He writes, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon his throne, high and lifted up. And the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two he covered his face, with two his feet, and with two he flew. And they called to one another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called. And the house was filled with smoke. And I, Isaiah said, Woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Isaiah here, he sees a vision of the Holy One, of God himself, and he sees that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. And his response, it isn't, oh, I'm not too bad, or oh, I guess God's not that good. No, instead, he can't even join the seraphim in praising God as holy, because it is so clear that God is holy, and he is not. 
And instead, as the KJV puts it, Isaiah cries out, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. And this, church, this is the natural response when a man sees God as he truly is, and man sees himself and his nature in light of God's perfect holiness. It is that man is undone by his sin, distraught over his sin, and thus must seek the only one who can cleanse him of all sin and reconcile him back into fellowship with God. And that is and only is the Son, Jesus Christ. Therefore, verse 7, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. So if we have put our faith and our trust and our confidence in the atoning work of Jesus Christ and are truly regenerate and have been reconciled back to a holy God, then we will naturally, verse 7, walk in the light as he is in the light meaning our lives, they will reflect the light and the goodness and the holiness of God. Or to put it another way, we will love the things that God loves, we will loathe the things that God loathes, and we will try to separate ourselves from the ways of the world as far as the east is from the west, as far as the sky is from the ground, as far as the light is from darkness, all in an order to draw nearer to our God. And where will this walk take us, Christian? Verse 7, we will have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Now, there is some debate as to whether we will have fellowship with one another is talking about our fellowship with God, or if fellowship with one another is talking about our fellowship with each other as brothers and sisters in Christ. However, being that in verse 3, John desired to proclaim the truth of Christ so that everyone can have fellowship with us, with the church. Verse 7 seems more like a continuation of John's thought from verse 3, which is that those who are reconciled back to God, those who have fellowship with God and are at peace with God, they will naturally then fellowship with members of the church. However, Simply because we've been reconciled back to God and are now in fellowship with God and in fellowship with other believers, with the church, that does not mean that we as Christians now walk perfectly or sinlessly. And I bring this point up because too often Christians, they feel crushed by the guilt of their past sins. They feel crushed by the remorse of their present sins, or they feel crushed by the fear of their potential sin. And those feelings of guilt and remorse and fear, it impacts and it impedes their desire and their delight in fellowshipping with God and with other believers to which I want to impress on you this morning, brother Christian, sister Christian, if that is you, not delighting in fellowship with God or with other people because of the guilt of your past sins, then remember, 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 verse 7, the blood of Jesus Christ, it cleanses us from all sins. Hear that again. The blood of Jesus Christ 
cleanses us of all sin. All sin that you have ever committed, all sin that you are feeling tempted to commit, all the sin that you will ever commit, the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses you of all sin, of all of it. Thus, if you are struggling to believe and find peace in that eternal truth this morning, and it is keeping you from delighting in fellowship with God and with his people, then consider this illustration from Jill Karate about a man named Greg Boyle. Boyle is the founder of Homeboy Industries in LA, where he put together a team of physicians trained to remove the tattoos of ex-gang members. It is a service that is crucial for their success in making it outside their former gang life. Gang-related tattoos prevent many former gang members from ever being hired again. For others, the markings of gang-related tattoos puts them at risk on the street. There is no fee or community service required to receive the service offered by Homeboy Industries as the tattoo removal is strictly a gift. You see, the seemingly permanence of a gang tattoo fosters the attitude that the gang owns them. It fosters a sense of identity. The tattoo seems like it is part of the person, like it can never be removed. I suspect some of us feel like this about our past sins, like it's a mark that we can never remove even though we know we have been cleansed by the blood of Christ. Thus, perhaps the imagery of a tattoo removal can evoke a renewed sense of blessed assurance in us this morning. Like former gang members who have had the marks of their former lives removed, so too can our sins be blotted out by the blood of Jesus Christ and will be remembered no longer. Brother Christian, Sister Christian, the blood of Jesus Christ, it cleanses us of all sin. And please note here, church, the word cleanses, it is in the present tense. Meaning, as John MacArthur put it, because the blood of Jesus Christ continually cleanses away every impurity, sin can never change a believer's standing before God. Therefore, if you are struggling with the guilt of sin this morning, and it is making it hard for you to desire or to delight in fellowship with God or with other believers, then remind yourself that the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses you of all sin. If you are struggling with the guilt of past drug abuse or drunkenness, homosexuality or hypocrisy, adultery or anger, remember the blood of Jesus Christ, it cleanses you of all sin. If you are struggling with the temptation of current gossip or gluttony, cheating or complaining, fornication or flattery, remember the blood of Jesus Christ, it cleanses you of all sin. And if you are struggling with the fear of future boasting or blasphemy, stealing or selfishness, jealousy or judgment, remember the blood of Jesus Christ, it cleanses you of all sin. Thus, any sin you have ever committed, any sin you are being tempted to commit, and any sin you will ever commit, they have already been paid for, forgiven, and cleansed by the blood of the Lamb. And because of that, who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died more than that, who was raised, who was seated at the right hand of God, and who indeed is interceding for us. Thus be at peace this morning, Christian, because you have peace with God. For it is Jesus Christ who is interceding for us. And that by his grace we can walk in the light. The light in fellowship with God and with each other. And we are cleansed as Christians. Cleansed of our sin now and forevermore. 
As we close this morning, I'll begin with the non-Christian who is here first. Non-Christian, first off, thank you so much for joining us today. It really is an honor to have you, to meet you, and to worship with you. However, before you leave here this morning, let me ask you to first consider your way of life. Not your words, not what you believe, not what you tell others what you believe or what you're standing before God is, but your way of life. Are you non-Christian walking in darkness this morning? An unconfessed, unacknowledged, unapologetic sin. Because if that is the case, then you do not practice the truth. And the truth is not in you, and no matter what you say, you do not have peace with God. Meaning you will stand condemned based on your own merit before a holy God who is light and in whom no darkness exists at all. However, however, let this verse be the word that provides you with hope this morning. 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Non-Christian, through faith in the accomplishment of Jesus Christ, you can still be cleansed of your sin and brought back into fellowship with God right here, right now, this morning. And how is this good news possible? You might be wondering. It is because Jesus Christ came into the world, not to condemn the world, but to save it. That Jesus Christ, who is truly God, he humbled himself, took on human flesh, and was born under the law. And since Jesus Christ was born under the law, he then had to keep the law, and that is exactly what he did. You see, non-Christian, Jesus Christ, he kept every law, every statute, every precept. Jesus Christ, he lived the perfect life, a life completely without sin. And being that he was sinless and righteous, Jesus Christ then was the perfect sacrifice needed to appease the wrath of God toward the sins of his children. That's because of this perfect love that Jesus Christ had for his children and his perfect obedience toward the will of the Father, Jesus Christ gave himself up as a perfect sacrifice, bearing the wrath that we sinners deserve for our sin as our substitute. And he was crushed for our sin, crucified on a cross for our sin, and died a sinner's death in our place. However, being that Jesus Christ is truly God and truly sinless, death and sin, they could not keep Jesus dead. Thus, three days later, Jesus Christ, he rose from the dead, defeating sin and death forever and offering eternal life for all who place their trust in him. Thus, non-Christian, let today be the day that you turn from your sin. Let today be the day that you repent of your sin and that you trust in Jesus Christ and Christ alone as the only one who can forgive you of your sin, the only one who paid the price for your sin, the only one who can clothe you in his perfect righteousness and reconcile you back to God forever. And today will be the day that you are cleansed of your sins, desiring now and forevermore to walk in the light as your Savior, your Redeemer, and your Lord is in the light. Repent and be cleansed this morning, non-Christian. Repent and be cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ. And to the Christian who is here today, 
brother Christian, sister Christian. Oh, that we leave here today with a proper view of God and a proper view of self. Church, God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. Thus, as we examine our lives this morning, let us not examine ourselves in light of our sexually immoral co-worker or our foul-mouthed cousin. Let us not examine ourselves in light of the scum that we see on TV or the politics and the positions that are being pushed by this world. Instead, let us examine our lives this morning in light of a holy God. Now, I just impressed on you the power of the blood of Jesus Christ and that he cleanses us of all sin. However, church, that does not mean that we have a get-out-of-jail-free card and can now joyfully let sin abound in our lives. Thus, when we see darkness in our own lives, church, let us realize our sin, it isn't funny to God. Our sin, it isn't cute to God. It is not endearing to God. It is not something we can joke about with God because he finds it charming or amusing. Let us realize our God he hates sin. He loathes sin. He abhors sin and sees our sin, my sin, and any other sin as an abomination against who he is and his character. Thus, because of that church, we must too, as his children, take seriously our sin but not like talkative, and just talk about how much we hate sin, and tell others how much we hate sin, and proclaim to our church how much we hate sin. We must be a people who take serious our call to repent of our sin, to turn from our sin, to run from our sin, and to mortify our sin. Church, our demeanor towards sin, that isn't the only thing that should look different from the world. So too should be the way in which we deal with our sin. Thus, when we see sin in our lives, the same sin that we claim to hate. Do not just be content to tell others how much we hate sin, but as the kids say today, be about that action. Let your demeanor and your dealings towards sin both look vastly different from the world. As the Puritan John Owen said, be killing sin or it be killing you. Thus it is my prayer that we as a church body not be a church of talkers, but we, but we be a church of doers. Father, it is so easy for us to say one thing and to do another. It is what we see from our politicians. It is what we see from our celebrities. And quite frankly, it is what we see from the world. But as your children, Lord, called to walk in the light as you are in the light, let us look different. Let our yes be yes and our no be no. Let us not love just in word and talk, but in deed and truth. And let us show the world our faith by our good works. Help us, Lord, to be a people who take your holiness seriously. Help us to be a people who take our sins seriously and help us as a church body to take the cleansing that we have received via the blood of Jesus Christ seriously. We have been cleansed by Christ and there is nothing that can ever change our standing before our God. That is the power of the cross. Thus, help us, Father, to walk in your glorious light both in deed and in truth, now and forevermore. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we can't even fathom the depth 
of your holiness. The depth of your goodness, your wisdom, your brightness. Our perishable bodies literally can't come into your presence. When we are saved, we need new imperishable bodies to even enter the glories of your light. And yet you sent your son Jesus Christ into the world to reveal that light perfectly to us. And not only to reveal your plan of salvation to us, but to complete your plan of salvation. Through the blood of Jesus Christ, we are cleansed of our sins. Father, help us to walk in your ways and in your light in all that we do. Let us not just tell people how much we don't like sin. Let us not just talk the talk and tell everyone we hate this sin and that sin and the other and then ignore the speck, the telephone pole that is sticking out of our own lie. Let us deal with our sin as well. Father, you have given us this church body that we can come alongside each other, encourage one another to mortify sin in our lives and to fellowship closer than ever with you and with each other. Let us leave here today knowing that we have been cleansed by the blood of the Lamb and seeking your glory above all else as we run closer and closer and closer to your light. In Jesus' name, amen. This time, let's stand and close in song.